The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Hope you're doing well today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, that will work. A um, couple of things to be aware of. First of all, you've got about eight days to vote, so make sure you do your civic duty and vote. So that's coming up. Uh, we have a big party tomorrow night, if you're not aware. Uh, it's the biggest party we throw all year. It's really just a community event. There'll be thousands of people here on site. Pray it doesn't rain. I know that's like a big miracle in the fall in the Pacific Northwest, but pray for that. Uh, but uh, that's happening tomorrow. And then, uh, as we've mentioned a bunch of times, next week and the week after is our 90th anniversary celebration. And we're super excited putting a lot of pieces together to make it a great couple of weeks. So I uh, look forward to you being a part of that with us. And then finally, next week is the, the, the wonderful uh, Sunday where we set our clocks back um, and you get an extra hour of sleep. So don't forget that. Otherwise, you'll get up an hour earlier than you're supposed to and you'll be like, oh, no, I missed it. So anyway, um, there you go. How many of you guys have seen the movie Christmas Vacation? <clears throat> okay, yeah, a lot of us. Clark Griswold. <clears throat> There's a point where he's around the, the table and they're having dinner and he stands up and um, he's going to carve the turkey. But before he does, he says, well, Aunt Bethany, since this is your 80th Christmas, we would like you to lead us in the saying of grace. Anybody remember this part? And um, she's there and she's a little older and so she's kind of not understanding. And one of the ladies yells, Grace! And uh, and then um, Uncle Lewis, Grace, Grace, she passed away 30 years ago. Um, and uh, they want you to say grace, the blessing. And then there's this pause, right? And then what happens? She you know, folds her hands and looks down and she goes, I pledge allegiance to the, you know. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. So anyway, um, and it's funny, it, it, it's great. But one of the, the lines there rings in my ears today because, um, I think in the world we live in, sometimes this can feel so true, that she says, grace passed away 30 years ago. And I say that not as a name, but because, again, you think about divisiveness. You think about the world we live in that can be so polarizing and all that goes on. And I want to challenge us to consider grace as we kind of narrow down and end this series on legacy. I think it's a way bigger deal than we give it credit. And so in Matthew 18, there's a story I want to walk through because I want us to be the most gracious people that we can be. I want us to operate differently, maybe than we've ever operated it before. And this story, I think, helps paint that picture. So Matthew 18, verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, <coughs> uh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out... He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. 
Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Father, today I pray for clarity in our hearts. I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring that that sense of conviction in all of us. God, there's something you want to do that I, I hope would change how we operate. And I don't mean to overplay it, but literally change how we operate day to day, week to week, year to year for the rest of our lives, God. Because the picture you paint is meant to be a stark contrast. But open our eyes spiritually that we can understand the gravity of it today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Here's Peter. <clears throat> and, and Peter... Over and over we've mentioned he's the one to sort of speak up when the other disciples won't. And Peter here, Jesus has been teaching crowds and stuff. And this is kind of a conversation he has um, with, with the disciples. But Peter starts the conversation with this. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then he says up to seven times as if to sort of give him a hint towards like an idea of the answer. And it's a great question for you and I today as well. Because there's no doubt in my mind, for you and for me, there's people that have sinned against us. There's people that have done us wrong, and sometimes it's people that we love dearly that we're very close to. Oftentimes that's the case. And sometimes it's maybe people at a bit of a distance. But Peter says, Lord, should I forgive my brother or sister up to seven times? The rabbinical tradition in Jesus' day was to forgive three times, and at the fourth time, to walk away, we're done. And so somehow Peter kind of maybe wants to get some accolades from Jesus or something, but he says seven times to sort of double three and add one for a good measure. Like, hey, Jesus, look at how generous I would be if I was forgiving or I was you know, in charge of forgiveness, almost like dusting off his shoulder, like, check it out. So if the disciples would be impressed. And Jesus' answer brings us <coughs> kind of, kind of a, a deeper understanding. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations would say 70 times seven. The idea there for any of us is this, not to go, okay, the number's 77 and get out our journal book and figure out, well, they've sinned against me 28 times, now 29 or, and get to 490 or get to 77 and go, now they've crossed the line. That is a terrible way to understand what Jesus is trying to get across to Peter and to the disciples. He says, therefore, and he starts in with a parable. And Jesus oftentimes will bring up parables. It's kind of a practical story to understand a spiritual truth. Keep in mind, it's super important for you and I to understand this is a parable. And so Jesus starts in when he's talking about forgiveness. And he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so he starts in, and it says in verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. It says, since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, that's kind of a big deal. You think about like 10,000 bags of gold, how much money are we talking? Okay, let's just do this. 
For the sake of Jesus trying to teach a parable so that you and I understand the spiritual truth, we're talking a mountain of money, okay? We're talking millions of dollars. This guy, you know, he he owes millions of dollars, and the master wants to settle up with this servant, and the servant says, well, I can't pay that back. And specifically then, it says the master ordered that he and his wife and his kids and all that he have be sold to repay the debt. When you look at it that way, that kind of debt, first of all, should sound familiar to us because what is Jesus talking about? He's not talking about 10,000 bags of gold. He's talking about at the end of the day forgiveness. He's talking about you and I having a deep understanding, the disciples having a far deeper understanding of forgiveness than they currently get. So Jesus says, suppose somebody owes 10,000 bags of gold, but he's not talking about money. It's a practical story to reveal a spiritual truth for you and I. That's a picture of our sin, and it's a mountain of sin. A lot of times what you and I can do is, is sort of go, well, I'm pretty good. Or you ask somebody out there in general in the world, you know, if there was a heaven, how are you going to get there? Oftentimes people would say, well, I've been a pretty good person. I've done some good things. But that's to miss the equation entirely. It's like assuming that if you and I went out to Monroe here, just 30, 40 minutes away from us, hung out at the prison and took an interview of the people there, you would go, oh, they're way worse than I am. And that's not true in a spiritual sense. They're not worse than you are. It's not about you going, well, my mountain of sin is about this big compared to, you know, my uncle's mountain of sin. It's way bigger. He's on the front row. I had to pick on him. He did it to himself today. But then he can go, well, you know, his sin's way less than Megan's over here. Megan's is this big. And, and Donna's up in the, she's in the balcony because hers is huge. She's embarrassed, you know. And we can play this game all day long. That would be to misunderstand what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying to you and to me is we got 10,000 bags of sin. And that's the correct understanding what Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples. The other side of this is not just that our sin is, is ginormous, but the effects of sin. I could tell you all day long that while you may have some sin that you excuse and that you think you're getting away with, it is having far more impact than you might ever imagine on the relationships around you. Your sin affects your spouse. Your sin affects your kids. Your sin affects all those around you. There's no isolating those things that you think you're getting away with or those things you think you're excusing. And whether you believe it or not, it's true. And when we talk about legacy, and we jump into a series, and and we go over different points of legacy, it's important for you and I, for the sake of our legacy, to understand. The problem with sin is it's 10,000 bags for all of us. And it says that, that, you know, the, the, the guy at this, it says, he fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Can you imagine being forgiven millions of dollars? I don't know what kind of mortgage you carry on your house, but if somebody came to my door and said, hey, here's a check for all you owe on your house, I wouldn't be like, oh, thanks a lot, and close the door, right? I'd be freaking out. Like, wait, what? Are you serious? First of all, I think it's a scam, right? We all would. (laughs) 
Like, right, I'm going to turn this in, I'll get arrested for forgery or who knows what, you know. But if it was for real, somebody brought you a check and said, this is for your whole mortgage. I just felt like this is what I needed to do. And then said, and on top of that, I bought a, a villa in Tuscany all for you. And I bought a house in Malibu right on the beach for you. And if you like winter, I bought you a chalet up at Whistler and you're going to love it up there. And you're like, woohoo! My ship just came in. And you're like, how am I going to pay the taxes? Well, I'll sell the place in Tuscany so I can pay the taxes on Malibu and Whistler, right? We, anyway, that's not the point. But if genuinely someone showed up at your door and said, hey, all your student loan debt is gone. Every amount you owe on your car is done. The amount that you owe on your house is finished. I took care of it because I felt like that's what I needed to do. In the mess that you and I are in, God shows up on our doorstep and through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross says, you've been forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean. You get a fresh start. You're in me. Jesus paid the price for you. Is anybody as excited about that as I am? <laughs> to me, it's the best news you could ever receive. And so go back to what is Jesus trying to say? Jesus is not talking about 10,000 bags of gold. He's talking about, as I said a moment ago, you and I and our 10,000 bags of sin. And God shows up and says, the price has been paid. That's the best news ever. That's what you can hang your hat on at the end of the day. And so it says the servant fell on his knees and the master said, you're forgiven. And, and unfortunately, there's always a great big but. And in verse 28, it says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. What do you think is worth more, 10,000 bags of gold or 100 silver coins? Jesus is trying to make a point. Jesus isn't saying 10,000 bags and 9,900 bags of gold. He's making a point on purpose. It's supposed to be ironic. You've got this mountain that's been forgiven. This insurmountable obstacle of issue in your life called sin, and it's been dealt with. And yet there's another individual in your life that is in one way or another sinned against you, and Jesus compares that to 100 silver coins thinking about 10,000 bags of gold. It pales in comparison. It says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. What's the problem here? Well, for all of us, it's easy in Jesus' story. The problem is this guy was forgiven this much, but he refused to forgive this much. He didn't understand forgiveness. But it's not just a problem for a guy in a parable. It's a problem for you and for me. The weight of this message today, the weight of this story in Matthew 18, cannot be overestimated. The, the, the weight is, is meant for you and I to feel like we're being punched in the face with what this is about. Like we feel the pain of, ouch. This guy goes out and, 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 you know, somebody owes him a handful of coins. 
or a small bag of silver coins. He grabs him and chokes him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what the first servant did. Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Does that sound familiar? It's what the first servant did. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. The same pleading that he received is what he refused to give. The same mercy and grace that he received, he refused to give. And then verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Can can I just take a, a little side note on verse 31 here? The reminder for me as I'm going through this text is this. You're not getting away with anything. I could say on one hand, there's always somebody watching, and there is. But sometimes that someone is people. But all the time, that someone is God. You're not getting away with anything. And I would challenge every single one of us about what's going on in our hearts. And if you find yourself week after month after year after decade going around in the, around the mountain of, well, I can't reconcile. Well, it is what it is. Well, it's all at arm's length. Well, there's nothing I can do. I want to challenge that. Because what Jesus says is when it comes to grace... You've received 10,000 bags full. You've got to be willing to give others 100 silver coins worth. You've got to. It goes on in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me, Father, forgive me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Well, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on that person just like I've given to you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until she should pay back all he owed. Jesus says, I forgave you a mountain and you couldn't forgive a molehill. Can I ask you a question? How many sins have you committed against God in your lifetime? I'm no mathematician or statistician. I don't like to say that word. But if you were to really see every sin you've ever committed, I'm convinced in my own life that a day doesn't go by that I haven't missed the mark somehow. Just just once. And that would be wrong. It's more than that. But if you think about it, I, I don't know how to quantify it. But, but let's just say in our lifetimes, well, for some of us, you're older, so your mountain's higher. No, it's, anyway. <clears throat> but, but really, think about it for a second. 
For any one of us, the number's easily into the thousands, tens of thousands. Are we into six figures? Anybody seven? Right? Seven figures, not anyway. But think about it. How many times have you and I sinned against God? Let, let's just say it maybe, I don't know, 50,000. That's probably generous. It's not to, to make you feel terrible that I say that. But is there anybody in your life that has sinned against you 50,000 times? And you go, wait a minute. No, no. Yes, I've sinned against God, but do you know what they did? Their sin was bigger. Their, their sin was egregious. Their sin led to, and you can fill in the blank, the trauma, the pain, the counseling, the lawyers, the legal, the whatever. And I'm not going to try to minimize like it's no big deal, but I'm telling you, when it comes to your need to forgive, do not play the my sin's little compared to their sin that's big. Don't do it. Because in a spiritual economy, it doesn't work that way. How much of your sin led to separation between you and God? Well, the mountain of it, sure, but also the one. In God's economy, you and I are separated because of sin. And it could be a couple sins or it could be 50,000 sins. <laughs> and it's dangerous to play the game, but my sin's smaller compared to them. What are we talking about today? Grace. What are we talking about today? Forgiveness. Why? Because it's so core to the follower of Christ that you and I stuck in our sins are an absolute disaster. Absolute, utter, unfettered disaster. And there's no minimizing that. But for us to understand the mess we're in and then to understand that God showed up on our doorstep and said, you're forgiven. Ought to cause something to well up inside of us that forces us to extend grace to others. <clears throat> and just so you know, when it comes to this word grace or we talk about forgiveness, it doesn't mean that somebody finally comes to you and apologizes. You can forgive without somebody apologizing. Did you know that? You know why that's important? Because there are people in your life that have crossed you the wrong way and they passed away and now you're stuck forever. Is that the, really the way God intends it to be? No. You've got to be willing to forgive, period. I choose to forgive whether they want to apologize or not. Why? Because I'm not going to be held captive by, by my want for their ruin, by my want for their demise, by my want for them to pay the price, by my want for them to understand everything they've ever done to me. I can't live there. I have to choose. And it is a choice. I have to choose. Yes, it hurt. Yes, I feel crossed. Yes, I feel betrayed. Yes, there's pain. I'm not saying those things don't exist. I'm simply saying for you to hold on to it is to hold yourself captive. And the equation Jesus gives us is in all that God has done for us, and it's 10,000 bags of sin forgiven, we need to extend forgiveness towards others. We must extend forgiveness towards others. 
Paul said, be kind and compassionate in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The, the, the phrasing there is super important. Paul doesn't say, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you. He says, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's important for you and I to remember we're called to look through the lens of our faith at how we interact with everybody in our world. The grace we extend to everybody in our world because God continues to extend grace towards us. We need to extend grace towards others. So when we talk about grace, Thanksgiving's coming. How gracious are you around the family that you feel jaded towards, that you don't like? How gracious are you because Christmas is coming? How gracious are you with the people that live around you? How gracious are you in your neighborhood? How gracious are you at a roundabout? <laughs> Those are the worst. Just to be clear, at a roundabout, you never go left. Just, just start there. But the second basic principle of a roundabout is this. If there's no cars coming from your left, you don't even have to stop. God bless you for that. Just a little free little bonus sermon. I find myself most challenged to be gracious at a roundabout. Because I don't understand how there's no cars coming and you still feel the need to stop. You don't have to stop. And I'm the guy that's right up on you with my lights on. I'm way too polite to honk. But also because a while ago my horn went out on my car and I was like, ah, oh, man. <clears throat> Possibly. You know what? You get up here and preach, you know? <laughs> Honestly, though, when you think about all of the grace that God gives you, how many of you guys would admit you sinned this weekend? Just a raise of hands for all of just Everybody, everybody do this. Everybody just do that. <laughs> okay, good. Now we get it. How many of you, in whatever mistake you made, came back to Jesus and said, God, would you forgive me? And did God forgive you? How many have been in Christ for longer than a month? <coughs> a year? Two? Five? How many have been in Christ for 10 years, let's say? 20? 30? 31? <laughs> and yet, God continues to extend grace towards me. 10,000 bags worth. How can I not forgive others? It's not because they deserve it. It's because you need it. It's not because they deserve it. It's because you need it. We've received 10,000 bags of forgiveness for the 10,000 sins we commit. I'm telling you, Jesus says, you've got to wrap your head around this. The servant didn't get it. I, I, anybody ever heard of the golden rule? What is the golden rule? Everybody repeat after me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Great rule. Not biblical. Okay, Old Testament biblical. But not new. What's the New Testament rule? I didn't come up with this. 
Jesus did. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. It's Andy Stanley who, who years ago wrote this, and it was for me, it was a, like a light bulb moment. The golden rule is great, but it doesn't go far enough. It's not, it's not you know, do, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do unto others as Christ has done for you. That's how far we're called to go, and that's the point Jesus is trying to make here. It leads to the final verse in the text. He sends the servant away and says, you're going to be punished because you, don't, you, don't, you refuse to extend the grace you're supposed to. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Otherwise, or another way to put it, because you refuse to accept the depths of God's grace, you don't get any. Pastor Irwin McManus, I caught this on social media this week, said this, when we embrace bitterness or unforgiveness, we reject grace. When we opened this message in, in verse 21, who asked the question? Peter. Good old Peter. And where was Peter at the end of the Gospels? <clears throat> well, first of all, Jesus said, you're all going to fall away on account of me. And who spoke up? Peter. And what did he say? They might. I'm not going to. Jesus is like, ah, oh, sweet Pete. You, you little rock you. He says, no, you're actually going to disown me three times before the rooster tonight. And what happens? Jesus is arrested. The disciples scatter for fear of their own lives. And Peter's hanging out in three different contexts. And what does he say? Hey, you're, you were with him. No, I wasn't. Hey, you're one of those. No, I'm not. No, I swear. You, no, I called. He literally he swears. I call curses down upon me. He swears to the heavens. I don't even know him. Right? It's like, oh boy, there's that rooster. And it said all of a sudden Peter was filled with remorse. And then the end of John's gospel. Where's Peter? Out fishing. Where was Peter before Jesus showed up? Fishing. And so here he is back to his old stuff. I don't know what to do. He feels like a chump. And Jesus shows up. They catch a bunch of fish. They come to shore. They're freaking out. Peter jumped in the water. And then they're around the fire and they're cooking some fish. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And to get this straight, <clears throat> Peter, Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, I, I like you a lot. But do you, do you love me? I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm trying. Jesus then says, Peter, are we good? What is he doing? He's extending grace again. Jesus is extending grace again. And Peter and him have this incredible conversation. It's really his restoration to not feeling like a chump anymore, to grace. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit is sent. And who preaches the first sermon of the early church? Peter. And what does Peter say? Hey, this whole thing about Jesus, it's for real. Why? Because I was a chump and I, I did all kinds of wrong, but, I, but that, that's not the point. The point is, Jesus forgave me. 
all that you guys did to crucify him. He, he, he died, he was buried, but he rose, and he is the Messiah, he is the Savior. You need him too. You need that grace too. And they go, wow, what do we need to do? And he says, open your hearts to him. That's the basics of the sermon from Peter, who received amazing grace. Why do I make such a big deal out of this? Because Peter felt like a real chump, and yet he was real close to Jesus. And yet Jesus extends grace to him. 10,000 bags full. Jesus continues to extend grace to you, 10,000 bags full. But the challenge is this, to receive it then is to give it out. Please understand your need to give out grace because I really do believe it can change how we live. <coughs> John Orberg, I mentioned this book, which is a great book to read. When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. He says this, at the cross, I remember that I too stand in need of forgiveness. At the cross, I remember that for me to expect to receive ultimate forgiveness purchased at the ultimate price from heaven and yet withhold it from someone who has hurt me is the ultimate contradiction. The cross is the place where we see what grace looks like at the moment of ultimate loss. A rejected Messiah carrying your loss and mine with inextinguishable grace. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I want to end with another story that he mentions. <clears throat> this is from his book, John Ortberg. The Monopoly Companion, a book written about the game Monopoly, warns players about what can sabotage their games. Mr. Monopoly, the author, who is perhaps a little under-challenged in his day job, has devoted much of his life to discerning the obstacles that keep people from realizing their full Monopoly potential. Most of his trips, excuse me, most of his tips have to do with the uh, financial bottom line. Know which properties have the highest return on investment. Hint, not boardwalk or park place. People don't land on them enough. Some of you guys are like, write that down. Okay. Um, figure out when to stay in jail when everyone has hotels. But the number one strategy surprised me. It has nothing to do with financial acumen or a sense of timing. It is simply this. Be the kind of player other people want to sit next to at the game. Be the kind of player other people don't mind losing to. Monopoly is a game that cannot be won without trades and deals. That takes cooperation. Mr. Monopoly says that other players don't like to lose to browbeaters, insulters, know-it-alls, and inconsiderate players. If that's you, other players will shut you out of trades. I've seen it happen a zillion times, the author writes, at tournaments. People who cling to resentments, people who don't know how to handle disappointment with grace, People who, with long memories and short forgivers. People who choke on the words, I'm sorry. People who sulk and pout and whine. Even really smart players who do these things end up losing at the end of the game. Become the kind of player other people want to sit next to. The Bible's word for this is grace. Play with grace. And clearly we're not just talking about the game Monopoly. In a moment, I'm going to not me, Hunter, I'm not going to sing. <clears throat> He'd be like, get me out of here. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. <laughs> Go ahead and stand to your feet. And I know if you're online, I just encourage you to take a moment, maybe close your eyes right where you're at. But I want to pray. And then we're going to sing together this song. And my hope is this song is more than just a song, but it becomes really a prayer in us to understand the nature of the kind of grace that you and I have received so that you and I can learn 
to give it. I'm gonna pray. Hunter's gonna lead us in a moment here. Father, I pray for all of us. That, Father, we learn to operate in the kind of grace that you've given to us. That there's not one person in this room exempt from the conversation, not because of what's happened or the implications or the pain, and not even to minimize those things, but honestly, God, to get down to the spiritual implications of not forgiving, the spiritual implications of not extending the grace we've received. But God, I pray for a greater clarity than ever before that I do believe this can change how we live in every aspect of our lives, and so that's my prayer, that your Holy Spirit would impact every single heart in this room that we can't get away from our need to extend grace. For those sitting online watching right now, that we can't get away from the need to extend a greater grace than we ever have. What relationships, God, could be restored? What lives could be changed? What kind of health could change because the knot in our stomach can go away because we choose grace instead of gracelessness? Father, open our hearts, even as we sing this as a prayer of appreciation, but also a prayer of dedication in Jesus' name. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a loving and humble than we've ever been. That grace didn't pass away 30 years ago. That it's alive and well in us because you continue to pour it out on us and we choose to extend it to others. It's so needed in our world. Help that be our legacy in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.